0: Hi, this is Anton Figg, and we are on Talking Blues.
1: I noticed that you started playing drums at the age of four. I, whenever I talk to musicians that started that early, it's usually classical musicians Who might have started playing the piano or the violin at the age of three or four is in in your case was it something that you started or something your parents had wanted you to do
0: um no it's something that i started i you know i did have a lot of music around me because my mother played piano and my father had a you know big classical and jazz collection so there was a lot of music around me but i was always just drawn to the drums and I think I just started banging on pots and pans because when I was five, my a friend of my parents bought me a, like a toy set of drums. And I remember being led downstairs in a blindfold and like seeing this little drum kit there. So I was obviously had, had displayed a, a huge interest in in drumming. I seem to sort of vaguely remember banging on pots and pans at about four, but I definitely remember getting this drum kit. And then when I was six, my grandfather bought me, I think, a snare and a bass drum, and every year he added a tom-tom so that by the time I was about 10, I had a full kit. But so I, it, it came pretty much from me. I'm sure it came all from me, but I, my parents, you know, they certainly you know, encouraged me to keep doing it. Got got support, but it was something that I just, you know, it's like, it's weird. It's like, sometimes I think like the drums chose me rather than the other way around. But, uh, that sort of sounds a bit pretentious, you know what I mean? But, but I, I don't remember ever deciding. I just always did it.
1: And if you always did, did you ever question doing it? No,
0: no, I just, I, you know, it's, uh, no, I just, I just always, I always, you know, did it and I loved music and it was something that I could do. I don't know how to explain this. It starts getting into things where you, you know, you get affirmation from it. So is that a reason to do it? Or you start, you start defining your personality as someone who can do this other thing or who does this other thing. I always kind of got into Wanting to play music, it wasn't because I wanted to be famous and it wasn't because, you know, I, I didn't want to play rock music to, you know, necessarily get more chicks, quote unquote. I always just did it because I absolutely loved music. And that was almost my motivating feature. It was the drive. So that's always why I just did it. And I just kind of kept on doing it. So,
1: I mean, obviously, if you started it, you loved it. But was there a moment we thought, God I love doing this. Like there was that from the very beginning?
0: I just always did. I I always I always did and I just wanted to you know get better at it. I, I don't know. I it was just something I was always doing. I've always done it. I never really thought about why or what.
1: And did you it, think that this I mean, was it basically to follow to become a rock musician or could it have been any kind of music?
0: I think it might have might have been anything really, because I had this music around me. So my my in my father's collection, I mean, I would listen to you know jazz records. I would listen to Latin records. I'd listen to classical records. I would listen to even at a very young age, like you know James Brown records, and like it was all the same. It made no difference to me. It was just all kind of. Music. I mean, there was some music that I understood better than others. I just loved listening to music. So, as you were
1: growing up in Cape Town, did you? was it important? I mean, was it necessary for you to actually move out of Cape Town to pursue music? I, I presume that there's probably a decent music industry in South Africa. Could you have stayed there, or was, or was there a reason why you decided to leave? and and go to the um conservatory
0: uh, right well the music was uh you know we had like paul simon graceland record the backing tracks it was that kind of music around in in south africa but you know there was the when i was growing up the political situation was terrible in those days they had you know the apartheid regime and all that so musicians could play together at in the poems and on the at the universities so that would happen, and I was in, and I was in quite a few bands in South Africa, in Cape Town right. where, where I was. I was in a lot of bands and successful bands, but local. And I always felt that you know, uh, and Cape Town was because of the apartheid situation and because of where it was in the world, and that there wasn't like internet connections in those days, and we I didn't even grow up on TV but it's like the, you know, it was far away and cut off. And I felt like I really wanted to come over and hear like the great musicians that were over here. I felt like I I wanted to come over and and hear more stuff and try and play, see if I could play overseas uh, and play with musicians here. And my parents said to me that, you know, they would support me provided I got a degree. And so a friend of mine had been, was going to the New England Conservatory in Boston. And so I applied for, I I applied for it and I got in and it was weird. I applied for the jazz department and I got in, they accepted me into the classical department. I have no (laughs) idea why. And when I came over, I, I, I did both degrees. And at the end they said, you can have, you know, we can only give you one of them, but you can have whichever one you want. And so I figured, well, I'll take the classical one. But I was, you know, it was a fantastic time because I was playing in the orchestra and in chamber groups and in the big band, the jazz big band and in small jazz groups and, you know, playing with, in a lot of different bands out in the clubs at night. So it was a fantastic growing experience. And, uh, you know, I got to play with an awful lot of people.
1: Had you had any training beforehand? Did you take drum lessons, like? How difficult was it for you to get accepted into the conservatory?
0: I, I'm amazed that they accepted me, quite honestly. I, I had uh, very little training. I'd, I'd done a little bit of piano lessons, and I'd studied with a guy from the Cape Town Symphony Orchestra, which was just sort of basic snare drum stuff and a little bit of timpani. And, and that was it. I was self-taught. I used to go to the uh, some of the local drummers and say, you know, what are the rudiments and how do you hold the sticks and all that? And uh, no one seemed to know those answers. I mean, I just <laughs> wanted to learn that stuff so badly. And there was no one there to teach it. Like nowadays, you can just look it up on YouTube. I mean, there, there was nothing. You were just totally isolated and away from everything. In one way, it's good because you sort of it forces you to develop your own sound in a way like for example I thought that um say Ginger Baker you know I thought he was like hammering away on the drums he's actually quite a light player but because we just listened to records and we didn't really see any films and we we didn't see definitely didn't see any of it live you know you just got like that good recording sound so that's how I thought like everybody played and you know in a way it helped me kind of, uh, well, it, I don't know about it helped, but it changed the way that I approach hitting the drums. I try and be like really fairly hard and consistent because that's how it seemed to me everyone played on recordings.
1: Could you read music at that point?
0: I could read it a little bit, a little, you know, because I studied with a guy with a guy from the, symph- from the Cape Town Symphony and so we had to read, uh, but I didn't do anything like too difficult. Then sort of... Towards the end, uh, right before I left South Africa, I'd actually applied for the um for the College of Music there, and I'd gotten in. I couldn't, I could only, I could read a little bit, but not not a lot. And um, but you know, reading is like a um language. You know, you like learn little phrases, and those would be the words, and then you sort of can string them together, and that becomes a sentence. So, and uh, drum music is very kind of like big band and that it's quite interpretive because they won't be telling you every single note to play, like you're reading a sax line or something like that. So you kind of, you you sort of, uh, you see like little figures written on top and just by looking at them, you kind of know what they sound like. And then you have to set them up and play them, interpret them in a way. So that, that I learned at school just by playing in the big bands a whole lot. Wow.
1: Can I can I ask you about living in apartheid? What what, what yeah. impressions that made on you as a young man growing up in South Africa?
0: Well, it was weird. It was very strange because people it just was so basic, so terribly unfair. And you know, I was I was a you know, living on the good side of it, but there were millions and millions of people that weren't, and you can't help but feel really like I guess, guilty, you know, it's just like, just totally wrong. I've never been that kind of a a human being. Actually, where I grew up in, in Cape Town, it was a very liberal part of the world, of South Africa, I mean. Right. And so, you know, the white in Cape Town were generally, it wasn't like the rest of South Africa where, where it was like, we hated the Afrikaners, which was like the white government.
1: Would you have been able to play with a black musician when you're growing in that,
0: up? In your home, you could and in the, at the university. And we did. My parents would have parties and, and uh, you know, they would, they would have black bands and I would sit in with them. And there were people that came over and we would jam, you know, I was in a few bands that was mixed, but it was like really it, it was not the norm. You know, it was like something you did kind of un- under the table, if you know what I mean. Right. So
1: what was it like when you decided to, like, I don't know how much how much you got outside of South Africa when you were growing up, but what was it like to actually move to Boston to go to, to attend the conservatory? Like, how different a world was that?
0: I would say that the first year in Boston might have been the, one, the hardest year of my life because... You know, even though they speak English, some kind of English in America, it's different to – it was different. Uh, it's like you'd come – I came here. You have no cultural – the cultural reference is all different. The, you watch a sitcom, and you can't understand any of the jokes because a joke – I realized that a joke usually – makes reference to something that's already happened. And if you don't have that history, then you can't understand what it's referencing. And then it's not funny. So I didn't, the sitcoms made no sense to me. I didn't, we didn't play football. Uh, we didn't play baseball. You know, it was like soccer and rugby and, you know, so it was just a uh, very weird. And I basically just put my head down and, um, you know did my work at school
1: and you're thinking you're thinking that basically I need to graduate from school to prove to my parents that I, I want to pursue this as a musician correct
0: well I yeah I, I kind of I wanted to follow through I wanted to I wanted it to be a successful experience I didn't know where it was going to lead to I never ever thought of returning home. Um, I thought of finishing school and, and you know, basically once I got through that first year and then, you know, things, it changed. It's kind of moved. But I will say that that first year I was in complete survival mode. It was just really, you know, it was very hard. It was a very, very hard year.
1: Was it hard musically?
0: Well, you know what? I I, I wanted to study jazz. I was, I'd grown up. In South Africa, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot of different kinds of music. I'd heard the African music and listened to classical and all that. And then there was the British Invasion stuff, came over to South Africa, and I was really into that. Obviously, the Beatles and Hendrix, the Sto- uh, Stones and Cream and all that kind of stuff. Right. But then, like, jazz started moving into, like, jazz rock, you know, Bitches Brew and all that. And I kind of thought to myself that, studying a bit of jazz would make me a better rock drummer because I would have uh, like learn more different kinds of stuff. And so when I came to Boston, I really wanted to do jazz stuff. And in fact, I stopped playing rock completely. And just I was in the classical program, but I just got into playing jazz. And that's all that I listened to. And that's all I was interested in for, you know, a good five years. That's all that I did was jazz and loved it but it was a really exciting time because you know the the music was crossing over so it was i was approaching it from rock going to the jazz side but there were plenty of jazz guys coming over to the rock side you know it was a sort of cross-pollination and a really exciting time
1: and by this time you're thinking i get out of school i'm going to be a musician.
0: I have always kind of felt like as long as you know the, every year gets better I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and so I finished school and I didn't realize in in South Africa people kind of go to the school where they live here in America it's like a rite of passage you leave home so in my fifth year I sort of walked out of the front door and everyone was gone I had no idea everyone would be gone and so um I stayed in Boston for another year and then I decided to move down to New York and I moved down to New York and I thought at that point it was like, okay, let's see what happens. You know, let's, uh, now, now I've got to, you know, I'm either going to do this or not. And that's when I started to really go every year has got to kind of improve slightly. First year in New York was, was very difficult. And then after a year, I started to, and I remember some some more seasoned musician had said to me, it's going to take you about a year or two before you'll find any work. And then I started to do weddings and bar mitzvahs and I started to play around and I and then I was kind of working a little bit.
1: Did you have to go to New York? I mean, what made you go to New York instead of staying in Boston?
0: Oh, I, I felt like New York was the center and okay. was like that's where everybody went i mean for a for many many decades it was like the hub of music it was like the most exciting part of music it was new york you know la had its sound nashville wasn't the kind of as centralized as it is right today it had its own specific kind of sound but new york was like it was very vibrant and immediate and 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 kind of dirty and vital and it was the it was the kind of music that I was interested in and I wanted to come down here and th- this was like the ultimate kind of testing place for me. And I would t- imagine
1: t- it can't be easy to make your make a name in a place when when you're just a new arrival.
0: Yeah, well, it's. A, it's, it's I mean it's virtually impossible I mean but you, you get in and you just I would take any gig I could and I would just start playing around and you never you never knew one thing would lead to another, you'd never know who you would meet at whatever pickup band you were in, you'd meet someone and that would lead to something else and I, I just played in every sort of conceivable situation Okay
1: so when you played it. Weddings, bar mitzvahs, or whatever. What did you learn from that experience as a musician?
0: Well, the band was was really a good band. They had uh, uh, Billy Drews played saxophone. He plays in the Mel Lewis Orchestra now. Uh, Kenny Werner played keyboards. He's like a esteemed jazz musician. Uh, we wrote a fantastic book called Effortless Mastery. It's a fantastic book. But he's an incredible jazz piano player. They were like really good musicians. We played and the band played with impunity. We didn't really care about the situation we were in. We just played the music our way and played hard and and it was great. So I got, you know, I, I made quite a few connections through that. And plus, you know, the money, like, you know, you play a few of those dates on a weekend and that money lasts you through the week carrying your drums on the train and doing all that kind of stuff but uh, you know it's paying the dues and all that right. it, it was totally fine i loved it actually
1: uh, and what what year would this be around
0: i would say around 77 somewhere okay. around and
1: there. so around there around 77 you also joined a band called spider
0: right and that was a band those were with two friends of mine who from south africa we were in a in a in a band in South Africa, oh. and so they came over and they came down to New York because I was there, and we formed. We wanted to form a band in a, in New York, and so we, we started Spider.
1: This would have been more of a rock band.
0: This was a rock band, you know. And also at that time, what happened was I uh, people were talking about getting back to their roots, and I thought, you know, my roots are are is rock. You know so i went back at that point i kind of came out of school was down in new york for a year and then i started to get back into rock and i uh, auditioned for a band uh and their drummer had left to join dylan and i got that gig and so then i was kind of starting to move into the rock world and then we've you know we've the spider actually the band was called siren but then we were spider and um You know, that started. And then a lot of things started to happen. Like, for example, we auditioned a bass player. And the bass player, although he didn't get the gig, he said to me, you know, my friend Ace from Kiss is looking for a drummer for his solo record. And, you know, I I can recommend you to him. So, you know, that happened. And I went up and played with Ace and did a bunch of demos with him. And then he asked me to do another bunch of demos. And then he asked me to play on his record so that's how that happened completely unexpected and out of nowhere
1: right so i did want to ask you about spider who also that band also had holly knight as the the singer
0: Uh, holly knight was the keyboard player okay
1: Um, okay so she didn't sing
0: she sang backgrounds amanda blue was the singer
1: okay so on that first album you had if i'm not mistaken two songs change and Better Be Good To Me, which all both became hits for other
0: people. Yeah, they would, I don't know, Better Be Good To Me was definitely on the second record. I can't oh, remember okay. where the change was on the first or second record.
1: But how, how well did the band itself do?
0: Well, we had a song in the top 40 of our first record, got to about 35. Um, and, and the week that the record came out, the The main guy promoting the, 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 the record was killed in a car accident from the record the guy from the record company wow so the band unfortunately did not make it but it was a fantastic band I mean those records still sound great and it was a fantastic band and you know the one song better be good to me was a huge hit with Tina Turner and and her version is very similar to our version. It wasn't like she redid it that much. It's 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 very very similar.
1: So when you hear that, what goes through your head, knowing that you know you you, you had performed on this on the same song, which sounds somewhat similar, and it didn't have the same impact as something that John Blake yeah. would do or Tina Turner, or do you even think about that?
0: Not really. I mean, I wish that Spider had made it, but then my life would have turned out completely differently. You know, I wish I wish it had, but it just didn't go that way. For whatever reason, it just was not meant to go that way.
1: Right. Yeah. And then th- when you started working with Ace, you also started doing some work with Kiss. So was there ever opportunity for you to join Kiss?
0: There was after the... Um, after the uh, Ace record did so well, then I did the two Kiss records. And I remember Ace, uh, you know, took me out for dinner and asked me if I would be interested in joining the band. And at that point, the Spider song was number 35 on the charts. And I kind of wanted to kind of be with in my own band, you know. Right. And so I said, I'll, I will I agonized about it for a little while, but I knew that I wasn't going to do it. And then apparently, Gene and Paul also felt that Ace and I would be like a team, and maybe too much of a team kind of thing. Right. And so then they sort of thought, well, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know. But he definitely asked me, but I knew I wasn't going to do it.
1: But you did consider it. I mean, if I, it did cons-
0: I did consider it. Yeah. Just imagine how different your life would have been. Yeah, it would have been completely different. Yeah, it didn't happen, but I don't regret that for a second either. You know? Right,
1: but by this time now, you're starting to work quite heavily as a session musician as well in in New York City.
0: Yeah, I did. A lot, I started to do a lot of stuff. I the the band, that first rock band that I first joined, you know, that led to me playing with Robert Gordon and Link Ray, and that led me to do. Their producer with it did Joan Armatrading's Me, Myself, I" record, so I got to do that. And somehow that, like, kind of led to, I don't know how, uh, Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun record, and I did that. And then it sort of led to Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan, and, you know, I started to do, like, all kinds of stuff. And, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm mentioning the more bigger names. There was a ton of you know other records that i did along the way as well
1: so when it gets to the point where you just become an in-demand drummer for for sessions and, and obviously when you have when you work with people as 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 big as dylan or mcjagger or um you know have the success that cindy lopper does um how does that affect you is it just a job is it just a day gig you go in the studio do your thing and you go on to the next one? Or do you take pride in the fact that Cindy Lauper's record did really, really well? Oh, you know, well, really well,
0: when I did Cindy Lauper's record, she wasn't big, but, you know, that made her big. But, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I'm glad. It's great to be part of something successful. You know, when in the case of, like, playing with a... The, the, the Bob Dylan session was very quick. It was just like a... You know, I'd done a couple of sessions with them, and and that was that. It was like, like in and out kind of thing. Mick Jagger was a few days, you know. But those guys are so, they're in another league. You know, it's like just a another world. You know, and um, I felt very like flattered that they would want to, you know, use me on a recording, and play play with me. It was fantastic.
1: Can you articulate that thing that they have that's in a different league? Obviously, you you must belong in that league if they asked you to play with them.
0: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, they have years and years of being at the top of their game and in very rarefied air. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. yeah. uh, It's, uh, you know, but it's great to be able to... To play with them, but you know, it's like a certain—I don't know what it is—an attention to detail, a certain drive, a certain consistency, a certain just knowing what's right for them, and it's just like—I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say.
1: But okay, so let me ask you this: what What would have made you a great session musician that people would keep calling you?
0: to me like you know all kinds of music was related so in that if you played it and made it feel good um you know what separated different kinds of music was maybe certain nuances of that style but the basic ingredient that made all music the same was that it had to feel really it had to feel really good what you were doing and you had to be pulling in the right direction of the music and I think that I was Comfortable in a lot of playing, lots of different kinds of music, and sympathetic to what the people needed. You know, and I was like kind of supportive, and and I think I don't know, I don't know. If you'd have to ask them, but I mean, I, that's what I try to do. Was like let, and I mean, I really got to f- do that on Letterman shows, like. You want to, you start playing with an artist and you can see them like visibly just relax. And because they know like, you know, you, you're holding them and they're in good hands and you're not going to kind of let them go. To me, that's like, um, I think that's what I was able to do in a lot of situations.
1: So I would presume that your experience in, in the recording studio and working with so many different types of musicians was probably a really great way to prepare yourself for the Letterman gig.
0: Uh, yeah, it absolutely was because the, uh, on Letterman, one of the main things was you had to play so many different styles and so many different, so you know, different situations, and it wasn't the kind of, wasn't the kind of things where you could just close your eyes and go with the music. I mean, there would a cue would come out of nowhere, and you'd have to suddenly stop and. You know, you'd be playing a reggae song one day, and the next day, you know, uh, backing up and uh, you know Tony Bennett one day and Bruce Springsteen another day, and you know what I mean? All different yeah. kinds of things. I think, like you know, when I think back from like my dad, my father's collection, my mother playing piano, I think that prepared me, and. You know, just really loving all kinds of music and knowing all But remember, Paul said, you know a lot of the same repertoire that I know. And Paul uh, knows a lot. Yeah, he does. He knows more than me, but he knows... I knew a lot of the songs, a lot mm. of the stuff. So that was one of the... You know, that, that really helped me.
1: How, how did you get that gig? The Letterman show?
0: I would... You know, I would see Paul in... And I'd say, let me sub on the show, because when uh, Steve Jordan couldn't do it, they would have different subs. Right. And he said, oh, you'll get your chance one day. And I I never really got the chance. But I did <laughs> do a couple of albums with him. We did the Joan Armatrading record. He was on it, and so was Will and Hiram was on that record. And then Paul and I were also on Paul Butterfield's last record before he passed away. Right. And I remember Paul and Will finally came down I was playing with Robert Gordon and they came down to watch the show and I had a feeling they were checking me out and finally I got a call from Paul and he said um you know Steve can't do the show it's going to be away for a week and you do a week and so I did a one rehearsal and we did the week and Paul actually after the rehearsal Paul said actually he's going to be away for two weeks so I did two weeks on the show Steve came back and And then he missed another day, and I did another day. And then a few weeks later, Paul said, Steve's going to be leaving the show, and if you want it, we like the way you've subbed, and best of all, and, and the job's yours. Wow. Yeah. So it happened, like, really, once I finally got the call, it happened very quickly after that.
1: How did you feel when you got that job?
0: I was ecstatic. It was fantastic. But, you know, I... I went into a like a why me kind of situation for a while. Oh. It's like, you know, there's so many great people. How did I end up with it? You know, but, uh, and then it took me a while to grow into that, grow into it. And then uh, I sort of got to the point, well, I am still here. I'm in five yet so I deserve it. But um, I think I was the right guy for the, for the job. You know, <laughs> when I look back on it now, I was able to do everything that needed to be done for that job.
1: So I, I wonder, with all the different kinds of musicians that would have come on that show and that um, you would have to adjust to and, and to play with and whatever. Actually, let me ask you, how did that usually work? Did You would go in usually the day of the show early and do a rehearsal with the artists that you would be playing with, is that correct? And have maybe an hour or two with them?
0: Uh, we would get like the, a tape, like, you know, the night before, a day or two before, And so when we came into the show, we would be expected to know the song. Right. So that you could basically play it right the first time. Because we wouldn't have more than like maybe half an hour with the artist. Maybe 40 minutes tops, you know. And some artists, you don't want to hammer the song. You don't want to play it too many times because then it's stale by the time you do it for real. So like I remember when we played with Sammy Davis in uh, Las Vegas, he didn't want to do the song. He didn't want to rehearse it at all. He just wanted to play it live. The, the, the director of the show insisted on rehearsing it. And so we did it once, and then we did it on the show. And to be honest, the very first time was better than the second. But that's those guys. You know, they just did one take. Right. But so we had to come in. We had, you know, expected to know it. And, and um, you know, you'd, you'd make whatever charts you needed. Sometimes you'd be reading, sometimes it would be your own homemade chart. And so you'd play it a few times and, you know, they'd get the camera shots and all that, get the sound together. Maybe we'd listen to it and then we'd go, you know, and that would be it. And then, you know, do the show and then have to do the song. And to be honest, that was hard because you don't know the song all that well. And then you do the whole show and then you suddenly got to play the song and you, it's got to sound like you've, you know, been on the road and been doing it for the last six months. You know, yeah. so it was a, definitely a you know different set of muscles to to get together.
1: I wonder if this, with with all the background that you've had, listening to and enjoying and playing music, plus, the, you know, going to school for music, was there ever an artist that you came across that you were completely challenged by during that time?
0: Well, I mean. Yeah, um, you know, uh, well, like, first of all, when we played with Miles Davis on the show. No, I guess that I mean, that was very intimidating. I was such a major fan of his, and it was so intimidating. But I remember thinking, like, when we actually did the song, I felt like I was kind of in the, it was a very, it was kind of soft, the song. But I was, I felt like I was in the eye of a hurricane, like in the very stool part. And the music was kind of happening around me because I said to myself, I didn't come all this way in my life to not do a good job now or get nervous now. And so everything was very still. And the music was happening around, around me kind of, but it came out really great. And he made us sound like a Miles Davis band. It was very cool. Wow. And then afterwards I hadn't really met him properly. And I went, Marcus took me to his dressing room and, he asked me about South Africa and stuff, and and then he said to me, "Well, you you got a good feel for them drums," and like to me that was just the the greatest thing that that anybody has ever said to me. That coming from Miles Davis, so uh, for sure. you know, especially
1: somebody who wanted to become a jazz drummer.
0: Yeah, and I mean that has just like carried me. That'll that'll carry me forever.
1: I can see why. And, and and to think that you had 29 years with that show.
0: Yeah, amazing. I, mean, amazing. I mean, we got to play, you know, when you play with the good guys, you know, you play with James Brown and, you know, Springsteen. And, you know, like they, we played with some incredible people. And it's just, it's just remarkable, you know, that you see why they are who they are. And you asked me before, what is it that they have? I don't know if I can put it in. I don't know if I can put it into words, but they've got something, that's for sure. And to see these people, they still, even uh, years after their, not even, I wouldn't even say their prime, after their youthful time, you know what I mean? They still had it. They were just more mature, did different things, but they still absolutely had it.
1: And I, I don't know if it's the same now, but I remember as I was growing up and watching The Letterman Show, which I did a lot of, um, just the amount of amazing musical moments that happened on that show that, you know, that I that I still remember. And, and, you know, oftentimes you were involved in that. No. Because it wasn't just like, okay, you play the song, that's it. But there were some really special moments. Oh,
0: yeah. You know, I, it's very weird, but I have, like, forgotten a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. And people have to, I have to, uh, you know, people will show me tapes or send me, youtube this or that and i go man i don't remember that at all i can't <laughs> remember i don't remember that i mean you know i did over six thousand shows yeah and they do kind of blur into you know about 10 shows so they you know you just can't retain it all you say th- i wish i'd written everything down i wish i'd written down everyone i'd played with and what song and you know i really do but I'm still finding, I'm still finding stuff, and you know, it's just like I get—it's nice to see.
1: So, throughout the years, how did you improve as a drummer? How did you become a, a better drummer than the year before?
0: I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks I play exactly the same as when I was six years old. <laughs> I don't play much different. I, might, I have more. Uh, I've been in more situations. I can anticipate stuff that's going to happen better. Perhaps, and I have more experience, but you know, it's it's weird. I don't want to lose that that first kind of vital, completely natural thing. That I I think that's been the thing that excitement has been more sustained me.
1: Hmm. And and did did the formal education ever get in the way of that?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. I, you know, it's like, like with many things that comes out later, it's like being in a lot of, you know, a lot of the situations were adverse. They were difficult in the beginning. Right. And a lot of the thing, a lot of times just working through things gives you the confidence to know that when you are, when you have something difficult to do, you know, you're going to be able to do it. You may not know exactly right at that moment, but you know, eventually you're going to be able to do it. So it's. You know that I see that overcoming obstacles, and I don't know if that answers the question about formal education, but I think it's a it's a good thing because you just it helps you. Then you can solve with confidence the next time.
1: Okay. So speaking of confidence, did you ever lack confidence about your playing?
0: I'm trying to think how to answer that because I could. There's a part of me that I could say all the time, <laughs> and there's a part of me that thinks no. You know. I, yes, I think the the short answer would probably be yes. I think like when I, when I said about Letterman, like wondering why me, that would be like, you know, that I was, you know, wasn't sure that I was, you know, deserved it or was the right person for it. Um, you know, even now you look, you listen to people and you go, wow, that what they are doing is just so far beyond what I'll ever be able to do. I kind of wish I actually had a bit more confidence quite honestly
1: but I I wonder if that not having all or wishing that makes you a better musician
0: it could it could make you more sympathetic to more not sympathetic more like sensitive to what's going yeah. on it's quite possible there are people that have unbelievable self confidence that that don't play very well because of that I don't want to be a bull in a china shop either i think i have like a a healthy human dosage of kind of confidence and but also like kind of trying to I sort of got to check up on myself and make sure that like I'm not getting too far ahead of myself
1: right so when you were with the Letterman show and and I nobody probably would have predicted that it would last as long as it did um but in your mind as long as it was going on you were happy being there
0: it was, I was very happy being there, but you know, uh, goes through it's like a long arc that you go through. And but when Letterman Letterman called us into his dressing room about a year before the show ended, and he said, "I just want to tell you guys, I'm, I'm I want to tell you guys that I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be stopping the show, and it'll be about a year. And I'm going to call CBS now. And and then that night he announced it to the audience as well." It was almost immediately. I was like, "Okay, the show's done." I never gave it another thought. It was like, "The show's done." I'd been doing Joe Bonamassa's records, and I kind of had a feeling like I was going to be doing that gig next anyway. So, I, you know, when the show was done, it was done the last year. I mean, I did it. It was it was sad, and it was what was really bizarre was like the next day, the whole set was dismantled. I saw a picture of my drums when I left the show. On, the, on my video, on my sorry, on my website, I got a video right after the last note of people just in a daze walking around the stage. But the next day, everything was dismantled and it was very much like a death. It was like, you can never put this back together again. It's just been torn apart, like blown apart and that's the end of it. And I just moved on.
1: How difficult was it for the last year? knowing that it was coming to an end
0: it wasn't not for me it wasn't difficult I was just like maybe it was time you know maybe I was ready it was like you know I've done this I've done like all that I can do it it's I I I was ready I think uh it was a fantastic time I never would leave I never would have left the show I would have been there forever but once that decision had been made for me, I just went along with the decision. So once Letterman said it was it, I just knew the days were numbered, and I was okay with it.
1: Okay, so and the, during the show, there were p- moments where you were kind of highlighted, like yeah. you had your little bits. Is that something that? How does something like that happen? Where, like, you did something where you had to guess the expiration date of things.
0: I don't. That, you know, I don't know what the Letterman like seemed to take a liking to me. Yeah, uh, you know the writers wrote me into the show. I don't know why. Maybe it was the accent or whatever. <laughs> um, they wrote me into the show. I didn't like suddenly start speaking, you know, uh, uh, on my own. They they gave me some lines to say, and I just had to you know perform them. So it just happened, and you know it was for a while. And then it then they stopped doing it. But, you know, they did it for a while.
1: So when you have a gig like that, how does that affect you in that, obviously you can't go on the road with any band for an extended period of time. I presume you're still doing session work, but you're limited to the schedule around the show. Um, And and just based on the fact that you get to play with the band that you played with or the the musical guests that you played with. But tell me about how you adjusted to that different lifestyle being on that show for that many years.
0: Well, it's like the golden handcuffs. You know, For the the trade-off is, you know, you're home for dinner every night. You know, I walk. It was a 17-minute walk from work. It was a steady pay. Right. It was high visibility. I got to play with great people. And you just trade that off with, okay, well, I can't go on the road with these people. And I did get asked. Stevie Winwood asked me to join him. I couldn't do that, and I really wanted to. And there were some little tours I did. Ace wanted me to go with him. I couldn't, I did a short tour with him. There were some people where I would have like a couple weeks off the show and I would combine it with taking a week off the show. So I would get three weeks and I'd go and do some stuff. You know, you couldn't do it. Very often I would, like on the weekends, I would fly out to California, do as much of a record as I could, fly back, do the show, fly back out there again, do the second half of the record and... You know, I worked like that. But, you know, you weigh it up. There were so many good things about Letterman that, you know, Letterman was one of maybe three or four gigs of its kind in the mm-hmm. world and or certainly in America. And in my mind, the best one of its kind. Uh, so it was, a, it was a dream, absolute dream gig.
1: Can I ask you a little about David Letterman?
0: Yeah. Like how
1: close would you have been to, to him as a band member?
0: I think I was about as close to a band. Besides Paul, I was as close as you could get. Which Dave was a very is a very private person, mm-hmm. and so, but he 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 was definitely really nice to me. He definitely took a liking to me. And there was there was times when he used to come and play my drums after rehearsal every after rehearsal. Which and he stopped doing that because after he had his. Heart procedure, he didn't come down to rehearsal anymore. Right. But after rehearsal, and so he would sometimes leave a note, he'd write a note on my snare drum and I would reply. So we'd have these kind of running conversations going <laughs> on the snare drum, which I have. I have it somewhere, you know, I've got to look for it. I have the, I have a couple of those drum heads. But um, <laughs> he is a private person and he, and he just has his tight gr- knit people from the show around him. The band sort of in general, operated separately from the rest of the show. Right. Was, you know, it was was the show and the writers and all that stuff and the comedy thing, and then there was the band. And so we were like, we were definitely a part of the whole show, but it was, it was different. But I think that, uh, you know, I, we got on really well, and he was very supportive of me all the time. So y- –
1: through that band you also got to do some other very high profile gigs like the rock and roll hall of fame gigs right is it connected to that and also the closing ceremonies at the olympics
0: right yeah that was all like you know the band and paul got a bunch of those a bunch of those gigs and that meant that we did it you know the the rock and roll hall of fame i mean i don't know what they do now but Certainly, for the about the eighteen years that we did it, or twenty years, something like that. Uh, you know, that was fantastic as well.
1: I can imagine. I mean, that's a special night for some very special musicians.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, although I'm struck by there was one year where they had like every famous guitarist up on stage at the same time, and you, you've never heard such a fucking racket in your life. <laughs> But, you know, when, when, when the, that was in the days when Bill Graham used to just kind of put, throw people on stage and pull them off. Then, you know, once it went to television, once they started televising it, it became all scripted because those jams from before were just like just ragged thrown together things, which yeah. was fantastic. And then, now, then it became all you got to put this person with that person and you better get a young person so that we, you know, improve the audience. I understand it all why but you know it's different now
1: yeah so are you still doing a lot of session work
0: I've been with Joe Bonamassa so we have been on the road for the last five years and that's kept me out of town and out of sessions a lot I have um, a studio and with my drums and pro tools and all that and I do sessions for people remotely Joe does a lot of records all the time and various things and so I'm doing all those records. I still do session work, but the, session, the whole session scene has changed anyway in New York. There was so much more work. There's so much less work now for everybody. But I still do it. But, you know, everything has changed this past year. So we'll see what it's like, you know, when it all goes back to normal.
1: But how does that happen? Like, do, do you have agents or does do people just contact No, you? it's just
0: word of mouth. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, yeah. And, and so what's it like after... the being on TV show in one location for 29 years to be out on the road again? Like, what is that like? Well, it's
0: different. You know, in terms of the music, it's like you're playing the same, a very similar set every night, you know, maybe changing a few songs. So the whole arc of that is different. You can, you play the full song and, you know, you play the whole set and you learn where to pace yourself and where to put your foot on the gas. With Letterman, you never knew what was happening from one song, or within one song, even, or from one song to the next, or from one show to the next. This has got a similar. This has got the same thing. The band goes through peaks where it's like really fantastic, and then it like it struggles with the, some songs. You struggle with, then they come right, and it's all about sort of think of it like a roller coaster, but like a like a fast-moving but really well-oiled, so you turn the corners really nicely, and you there's no like heavy jerking going on. You want to make the band just really kind of like I don't know how to describe it, glide down and through over the ramps and all that, and it's just really smooth. That's how I kind of picture it. Right. So it's a it's a different way of playing, a completely different way of playing from the from the show what is but what is very different is the constant traveling and even though joe travels on a like a very high level we we stay at fantastic hotels and we on like nice sleeper buses you play the gig and you get on the bus and you go to sleep and then you wake up and you go into your hotel you know we we travel really nicely but it's it's a lot of work and it's no, it's not in a back of a van all the time, and you know, it's like there's much harder ways of doing it. Yeah, yeah. But it's there's also even easier ways, you know. We don't have private jets and that kind of stuff, but we're out on the road <clears throat> for uh, you know, a big stretches of time, bunch of tours a year, and year after year after year, he really does work a lot. So this is this year off now has been the first one I've had off. For a long, this is the longest I haven't played in in forty years or something.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And how have you adjusted to that?
0: Well, it's weird. It's it's different. You know, I have been doing stuff in the studio. Fortunately, I've been. I actually got a film score that I did, and I've been doing a. I'm working on a record for someone right now, and I've had various projects, so I've kept creative. But you know, your chops—it's not the same as when you like hammering away five nights a week and you really got your chops fired up
1: but was it difficult to get back into the road and and do become the road musician or the the touring musician after not doing that for so long
0: i I don't know i'll have to see
1: (laughs) no but when you started after the letterman oh
0: yeah no no no. that was that was easy that was it was kind of because it was all new you know i mean it'd been so long it'd been 30 years yeah. And I didn't tour all over. I toured a bit, but, you know, not extensively because I was in New York in the studios a lot. Although I did, Spider did some tours with, uh, we opened for Alice Cooper for for a bunch of months. But, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 you know, I mean, I just, I try and go with the flow as much as possible. It's like this is like this now for whatever reason. It's like this. And, try and get into it and make the most of it, and then it'll change and it'll be something else. And I I try and sort of have that attitude about everything now.
1: When you look back um, at this amazing career, from that young kid who started banging away on things at age of four to all the people you've played with and all the amazing experiences you've had, how, how do you look back on that journey?
0: Well, I'm still looking ahead. You know, I'm not looking. I, I'm not looking back yet. However, I would say that I just I can't I can't quite believe that I've got to do play with so many fantastic musicians that I've played with. I've really played with a lot of different people and mm-hmm. a lot of fantastic people. I never would have thought that I ever would have done that, and I feel like incredibly grateful and lucky that I got to. Got to play with so many wonderful people. That just really does feel amazing.
1: Wow. Um, yeah. My final question to you, and thank you so much for doing this. What's your relationship with your drums like? Well, how would you describe that relationship?
0: I. Oh, I don't even know how to answer that. I'm looking at them right now. I'm looking at the set right now. I'm sitting down in the. You know gee i don't know what to say it's something that i love to do it's something that i you know i sort of feel like i've got i if i just i'm still learning how to play the very first set of drums that i've got i'm still learning just the very first set that's how i feel all the time it's it's like how do you just play the first the first drum set there's so much to learn there's so there's so much to do on it there's so much you can do and there's so there's so much to learn on it it's it's at times it's overwhelming and then times it feels if i could just grab and do be able to do a little bit of that at a time that feels great there's times when it, the kid just kicks my ass and there's times when i feel like i can really i'm driving it down the highway really well it's 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 a lot of things. Wow. Yeah.
1: Anton, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, as I said, I grew up watching Letterman. So mm-hmm. I grew up watching you for many many years, and I was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. So the chance to sit down and talk to you is a big thrill for me. Well, thank yeah. you so much.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for it was a lovely interview, and you asked really great questions. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks.